This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, Season 2. It's a radio show and podcast about the goings-on in our region under the new normal. I'm producer Gary Farrow. The new train between Hamilton and Auckland, called Tahuia, is back on the rails again, having been out of action for three months due to the pandemic. Some crucial changes have been made, with more services back and forth, a stop at the Strand Station in Auckland CBD, and the opening of a new station at Puhanui near Auckland Airport. The train has a fresh chance to prove itself. The media has given a lot of coverage to public officials' views on Tahuia, but what about the community stakeholders? Susan Trodden, instigator of Tron, the Rail Opportunity Network, continues to advocate for the train as a citizen. So, here we go again, Here we go again. I know, toot toot. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm um, cautiously optimistic that this may be a better year, although who knows. Um, I think the fact that the, there's been the earlier changes to timetabling and uh, the stations along the way means it's a more attractive proposition than, than what it was. But um, it is fair to say that yeah, a, pan- a pandemic and a global potential recession is not really great for intercity travel. And yeah. it's sort of difficult as well, isn't it, with um, people not wanting to be in, you know, confined quarters together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important. I mean, in much the same way as, you know, Henry Ford was told that the car would never work. Um, understanding that this is, although it's a big investment, it's about a long-term investment, just as you know any rail line is, rather than saying, oh, well, it didn't work in one year, so we should flag it. So you wouldn't spend um, $100 million on a building, and then if you didn't get tenants, pull it down. So I think, um, I think there's, there's a lot of sceptics, but it's, it is really early days, and you could argue that actually the, the whole time of the pandemic has just changed the world. Um, what's interesting to me is now the emerging conversations about, um, about emissions and kind of this, this far more um, linked up thoughts of all the different reasons for public transport rather than when we originally started and it was about just getting this commuter rail going between Hamilton and Auckland because of the number of people that were on the road and getting stuck in traffic. So, um, yeah, I think there's more to the story than what than just that one route. That's an interesting point you make because even when I came to Hamilton five years ago, it was about the train. But now it has evolved to be about the whole transport networks, uh, 
of the country, really, of the Central North Island. Mm. Uh, how long have you been involved in the in the program of trying to promote the train? Um, so from the beginning, so about nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, and nine years ago, even then, in peak traffic, getting in and out of Auckland was very difficult. And um, as I've said many times before, lots of naysayers say, well, it's faster to drive. And that's true if you hit the golden time. Uh, and you're only going to a specific location, uh, but but it's not realistic, and it's dead time. That's the beauty of um, of being on a train with with broad with broadband, ultra fast broadband. Uh, but I think also um, there is that that sense of people that I think um, everyone's a bit zoomed out. So there is definitely a, a wave of people saying, actually, I want to meet somebody face to face. And if I don't have to drive to do that and I can use that productive time at each end of the meeting, then that's great. But again, Tahuia has not yet seen um, the school trips and the and the kind of older population and tourism and all the other things. So while commuter rail was the beginning, it was never the whole story. It was absolutely about linking up people, linking up locations, uh, working in with the university, with Ruakura, and of course, finally completing, ultimately completing that triangle so that you're also including Tauranga in the story. I suppose you'd want to look at it more as like a plane, like a commercial flight between um, Auckland and Hamilton. That, that That's what the train is. Uh, it's more than just for people going to work. Yes. And, and uh, price-wise, it's accessible for, um, for most people. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, recently I had someone say to me, oh, but, you know, it's costing the taxpayer so much money and the um, the, the subsidy that, gov- that, that the ratepayers having to pay for this is just um, out of this world. And my question back to them was, well, so how much of you, how much of the New Zealand roading network do you use knowing that so much of your tax is helping to pay for that? What's the difference? Um, it's another way of commuting and a way, another way of getting around. Lots of people out there don't use buses, don't use libraries, don't use public, uh, any other kind of public amenity. That doesn't mean they shouldn't exist in a connected, thriving economy. Hmm. I suppose we don't have to pay to use public toilets, do no, we? No, <laughs> Or theoretically. Theoretically. And again, on in the road, if, you, if you're travelling between Cambridge and Hamilton... You're not thinking about, well, actually, my tax dollar also helped contribute to the road between Cambridge and Tauranga, but it did, and roads are an awful lot more expensive to to build and maintain than a train network. Now, bringing over the conversation to Tauranga, which uh, you mentioned that you attended an interesting meeting yesterday. Yeah, so this is, uh, so the Tauranga leg was always part, again, it was always part of the original conversation, but what we really needed from Tron was was some champions based in Tauranga. And it just so happens that six or so months ago, um, somebody got in touch with me from Tauranga, who's involved in transport over there. Um, we've heard about what happened. Can we talk? So, so the the, um, the steering group has now been formed, and funding has been approved by Bay Trust, which is um, kind of their equivalent of Trust Waikato. Uh, for a white paper on viability of of completing the triangle or potentially the diamond if it were to include Rotorua, that that west western bay of plenty, 
So uh, it's they're in a very similar position to where we were a few years ago that there's lots of people saying no and a few saying yes but the key now will be getting that white paper completed which which you know is being funded for somebody to do um, and Katrina the lady that's doing this has been has worked for uh, BT in the UK and London Underground as well as being involved in transport issues in New Zealand they're taking the approach that it's um, it's not a foregone conclusion, so very much white paper based on viability. Um, and so we're now at that early stages of who needs to be talked to, what stories need to be told, who needs to be engaged, who are the champions of rail within each council, because Tauranga is even more complex than the Hamilton to Auckland, because you're needing Hamilton, Auckland, and all those other ones as opposed to uh, Tahuya, which was you know three councils along the way, so there is a lot more people that need to be part of that story. Mm. Uh, are there any ideas at this point in terms of what shape the service may take, or is it very very early on at the moment? And, um, it is very early, well? yeah, very early. But they are also um, realistic about what does this look like? Is it about commuters? Is it about emissions? Is it about uh, Students, because obviously with the university now having a campus there, it's a lot of people moving between uh, Hamilton and the Bay. Um, or is it all of those things? So there are some additional challenges because of the port and freight. So I, I don't know if it's legislated, but it's certainly a policy of Kiwi Rail that freight trumps people. And there's a whole lot of very good reasons that that is the case. So there's some stuff to be worked around there. Mm. Now, the woman you mentioned, um, who is one of the key proponents of yeah. it for Tauranga, yeah. um, she sounds like she knows her stuff from her background oh, that she's come up. She, yeah. kno she knows what works and doesn't work. Yeah, so Katrina Ramage is her name. She's, um, she's an independent contractor, but she's been doing um, research for government and, and in transport for a long time. Um, yeah. Uh, she's been really it's really excellent because although she is she loves trains the whole way through this has been about let's be really clear that this is about viability and see where we end up which actually is exactly what Tron did when um, when we had uh, Professor Frank Scrimmager do the research for us the white paper for what became Tahuya it was very matter of fact and balanced in its view it was never about here's a bunch of you know anorak wearing train lovers wanting the taxpayer to pay for their hobby never um, and there were and that is part of the reason that Tahuya has evolved and it's taken time to get it to where it is because it was very important that each step was considered uh, carefully and pragmatically mm. in terms of the I, I guess the social structures along the line and what places can actually be serviced what places potentially will be able to be serviced in the yeah. future because yeah. there are growth cells out there aren't they like Mercer and Te Kaufata. yeah so so for both Tahuya and if, if on the triangle one of the part of the conversation yesterday was about um, they don't use the word growth cell as another word I can't remember um, what it's called but you know there, there's a growing movement of people now in other countries where they can't afford to live in the big cities but they were saying they're willing to make those compromises to live somewhere smaller as long as they're access so the challenge particularly if you look at say Pukano for example 
however many tens of thousands of people will be living there in the next 10 years. At the moment, there's not a rail siding for various reasons, but there'll need to be because all that's happening is that the great car park that is South Auckland is just moving back and back and back and back. So um, there is a real recognition from councils and, you know, Alan Sanson has been amazing, so plug for him at, at Waikato. Um, understanding that you've got you can only get people to move to these kind of isolated and I you know use my fingers for that um, isolated areas if they've got good transport links and even if it's just a small shelter a la Te Oamutu's one that's enough if people can get themselves from one place to the next so on the other side uh, we're in the Matamata Piako area um, the train line runs through Morrinsville. It doesn't kind of go where in your head you might think it goes. Um, that's the same. You've got to be able to have that easy access. So the great thing is with that for the feeder lines into Hamilton as well. So you, it's not just about getting people from Hamilton to Auckland anymore or Hamilton to Tarong or whatever. It's about getting people who live in Pukano to Huntley or Huntley to Hamilton or Hamilton from, from the base to Tirapa or whatever it happens to be that story of connectedness and keeping people off roads is is key with easy access to a station. Basically what it was like 60 or 70 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And actually it's not that we are we have been left but it's not that we are 100 years behind everyone else it's that we got left behind. So that that investment in rail didn't continue because New Zealanders love their cars. Um, but I think the proof is when you look at Auckland and, and Hamilton tracks at about 10% economically. When you look at Auckland, I can remember in the early 90s hearing that Britomart was a waste of money, taxpayers shouldn't be doing it, why did we need trains in Auckland, why did we need buses, everybody could drive. And it's incredible really in 25 years how it would be unthinkable now that you would, you would say, oh, we won't bother with trains because they're busy and there's really high patronage. Good point. I mean, I having grown up in Auckland, can I know that in that time, if it weren't for Britomart and the improvements to the rail network, what would that city be like? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> it, right. You're it, talking a hundred, hundred. Uh, sorry, a million rides a week or something. It's this massive number. So yeah, yeah. Imagine that another a million car journeys on the Auckland roads. It'd be crazy. And this, it hasn't helped our cause that the city rail link has taken so long. It, has, it hadn't helped our cause that Puanui took a long time because the story was always that the Puanui connection wouldn't be for another two years, might be 2024, 25. The fact that that's been brought in, yes, the airport's closed, so it's not like we've got people travelling overseas, but the minute that, the minute that we open again and you will be able to catch a train, get off at Puanui and go out to the airport, why would you not do that? So I think more people will do that, and it's about safety and all of those other things. So it's basically future-proofing, um, you know, for, for very near in the future, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and so I think some of it's mindset change. You know, if you live in the UK, there's lots of talk about plan your journey. So you're not saying, I'll jump in my car and be there in 10 minutes. It's about being more mindful about where you're going and how long it will take. So that is a mindset change for New Zealanders, but with the number of new migrants that come here and are staggered that they can't catch a train somewhere, they already get that. So um, 
that's another thing that New Zealand now offers that didn't. So that makes Hamilton more attractive to those people as well. And for those towns along the way, like Huntley, Narawahia, etc., um, they're a far more attractive place for people to live if there's easy transport links in both directions between to Hamilton and to Auckland. This is about growth of our country, really. Yeah, and New Zealand's going through growing pains at the moment. You know, we're going through what other countries went through 80 or 100 or 150 years ago, that we now ha- we're getting this multicultural, um, mobile population with expectation, um, just as other countries had, yeah, a gen- two, three generations ago, pre-wars, um, so so that what we can learn from that is kind of being more mindful in terms of planning. And it's slow because, of course, so much depends on political will. Um, but if you dig deep enough, most, most uh, political parties have reference to public transport in some form. It's just some, a priority for some more than others. But who wouldn't? Everyone wants to back winners. So if you want to live in a, in a city that's attractive for investment, economic growth, community well-being etc etc then um, any politician is going to say okay well what are the drivers for that and one of those has to be public transport and transport links. For a different take as Tahuia pulled into Rotakauri transport hub next to Te Awa the base I met a long-time rail videographer from Auckland. What hopes did he genuinely have for the train? Um, Lindsay Benbrook and producer and distributor of New Zealand Rail Scene DVDs. How did you get into rail videography? Probably the years that I've worked with um, the old NZBC and Television New Zealand. So it's been 52 years this month that uh, I've been employed by them on either staff or contract. And I've always had an interest in railways, and because of that, uh, way back in 1994, decided that there was a, a market for putting out videos of New Zealand rail scene. So that involved uh, heritage railways, um, New Zealand railways at the time, then Transrail, and a lot of people also shot a lot of film in the 50s and 60s and they made that available to me so I was able to have that transferred and to put in a nostalgic segment which uh, included passenger trains and goods trains from from those early days of New Zealand railways and it's just it's just gone from there so in December we issued volume 109 and we've been going now 27 years if that's correct. So we're talking one hour videos generally? We're talking one hour, yep, talking one hour videos and um, a lot of people now we're finding with DVD is that they no longer have DVD players and also they don't have DVD drives on their computers. So the next thing we have to look at now is making it available online so that it becomes a subscription service online. So that's something we're still looking at. Mm, that would be cool. So is, is the interest increasing in, in rail scene? It has, it's increased a lot over the years. Um, we have a, an annual subscription and for those people, it means that they get a slight discount on four copies or four volumes a year. But we're also finding too that a lot of the older uh, subscribers to that 
are passing on now. And so as they pass on, we find that there's someone else comes along and replaces them, someone younger and newer to uh, wanting these DVDs. Mm, that's cool. And so how have, how has the journey been like for you over the years of being a rail videographer? There's a lot of skills, specific skills that you would have had to build up, and obviously you're a you're a videographer anyway, mm. uh, professionally. Um, but filming trains and making it engaging, and people continue to to watch a half hour or one hour DVD uh, following a train. Mm. Um, it's 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 an art, I guess. It is. Um, when we first started doing it, there was a couple of people that used to provide their footage, and these were guys that had decent cameras, had decent microphones, and they also used tripods. What we found was we were getting some footage from people that was all handheld and it was all over the show, and zooming in and out and, and that sort of thing, which is really, in the end, sort of makes you very much um, motion sickness, watching that sort of stuff. But what I've found probably over the last five years is that we've been getting a lot of younger guys who have got really good gear that are providing us with this um, great footage. What we're finding is that there's a lot of young guys now that are, have got decent gear and they're really keen rail fans. They're involved with a number of the heritage groups. So they're not only learning to drive um, either diesel or steam and fire, uh, steam locos but um, they've got a really good interest in it and they are recording everything as they should which is not standing too close to the track and sort of keeping in mind the safe the health and safety part of uh, what they have to do without without sort of putting the driver and anyone else in danger so they are aware of uh, what's required in the way of health and safety. What is it for you that inspires you about railways? Because, I mean, a lot of these people obviously have the same interest as well. Mm. And um, I guess it's unique for each person, but what is it for you that, that sort of captures your imagination? It's probably the changing scene. Uh, when you go back to when we first started recording these things, um, you still had four-wheel wagons being hauled by freight trains. Um, guards vans had finished, but there was still the odd train that had um, a guards van on it. And just the infrastructure that, that has slowly disappeared that we did capture back then, and I'm glad that we did do that because um, a lot of people that are looking, a lot of the younger people now that are looking at the videos, sort of saying, gosh, I didn't realise that there was a station there or there was a, um, a goods yard there or there were telegraph poles for the, um, for the old uh, tablet system and communication between the various stations. So it's, it's things like that. Um, motive power, um, when, when we started getting some of the decent motive power, uh, from the, the DFs and then when they were turboed in the early 90s it sort of made a big change to um, the way that the railways operated. Then the Transrail era when that came along um, they went through and they scrapped a lot of the diesels and then they found that they were short of horsepower and diesels and ended up having to import some from Australia 
it had to be um, sort of a quick fix-up job at the at the workshops before they could put it to service. So it was seeing that sort of thing happening with a lot of wagons that were still good in service being scrapped because they were on a scrap drive to try and make money out of uh, the value of scrap metal. So it's, it's changes like that that we've seen over the years. And now we're seeing the renaissance of the passenger services, even though basically they're, they're being sorted out for the tourist industry, uh, such as the Transalpine and the Coastal Pacific and the Northerner. But now getting trains like Tahuya back in service, especially now that everyone is conscious of the price of fuel and it seems to be going up all the time, and also the cost of air travel, um, being able to sit on the train and move around and also being able to go and have a drink and something to eat has uh, made a big difference as well. So you've just got uh, Tahuya down from Auckland to Hamilton and one of the, I mean it's its first week of running again after being stymied by, uh, by lockdown. Um, how did you find the service and what sort of hopes would you for it. I'd like to see it um, get used a lot more by the people. Now that they've got the return service in the morning from Auckland to Hamilton and then the afternoon service back to Auckland, um, it means that people in Auckland that wish to come through and, and spend a day maybe shopping here at the base or even going to Hamilton and then travelling into Hamilton itself, you've got a decent couple of just over a couple of hours here before it returns so it, it makes good sense especially too from people from uh, living in Huntley rather than catching the bus into Hamilton to do their shopping they can jump off the train spend two hours here and catch the afternoon service back um, the, the journey was considering all the work that's going on in the Auckland metro area at the moment um, there were a lot of speed restrictions there was one stop for um, a compulsory stop that we had to make for clearing workers off the track um, but we arrived here on time so you know, good, good on the, um, the crew for keeping it to time the, um, the other thing too is that the Hamilton crew that are based in the carriages are really, really friendly and very helpful and you can see that they love the job that they're doing. It's not just a job that they turn up to each day and go, you know, what time we leave to go home. They were really passionate about what they were doing on the trip and very courteous and pleasant to talk to on the, on the, the journey down to Hamilton. It sounds like, you know, I mean, you've been observing the rail scene for many years and you know you've observed what has worked, what has been successful and what has faced challenges. Mm. Um, but you think, you think it looks good for Tahuya? It looks very good for Tahuya now that it can go into Auckland without having to transfer it and then get onto a slow EMU that's stopping at every station on the way. Uh, into the city. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.